welcome to the AOL podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message. Now, I don't want you to freak out. I got two Bibles this morning. But I believe God has a word for you today. Hey, let's stay standing for the reading of the word. John chapter 13. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during the ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Come on, how many of y'all thankful that Jesus loves you until the very end? Some of y'all didn't get that, but how many of y'all know God loves you until the very end? You may not love him And I think about it, I mean, this is a room full of um, crazy people, disciples. This is a room full of crazy people. But with the disciples right here in John chapter 13, I want you to think about it. I mean, Peter's messed up. Nathaniel has said, no good thing has come out of Nazareth. I mean, all these different people. But he said this, I'm going to love them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. How many of y'all have ever had the devil show up at the dinner table? It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. How many of y'all know God has given us authority over some things? But he knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, table, look. Uh, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and, and, and my head as well, Lord. Give me a bath in it, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That it would, That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Almost done. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what, I'm, what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things... God will bless you for doing them. God, we thank you for the word. I pray, Lord, that it goes forth, that it not be my words, but it be your word speaking through me. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray, Lord, that you fall fresh on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated this morning. What we're going to do is, is we're going to go ahead and have a foot washing service. I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask Corey Flo to come in here, and he's going to wash all of our feet. His family's back there. I guess he has a, a he freak, he's freaked out about feet, but uh, which I am too. When I go and get a pedicure with Pastor Brandy, I walk in, and they say, ah, you Bonnie Rubble. Praise the Lord, all right? But uh, no, we're going to get to this here in just a minute, but we're in the middle of a series called Creature Features. And if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, we're, we're really honing in on Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10. If you would go ahead and put it up on the screen there. If you've read the word of God, you know this about the prophet of Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah declares the salvation of God. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, he declares the judgment of God. And we see Ezekiel here, he declares the majesty and the mystery of God. And there's some things that he's seeing under captivity of, the, of Babylon that he begins to write, and the Lord begins to reveal himself to him. But he says, as for the likeness of their faces, they each had the face of a man. And he each had uh, the face of a lion on the right side and the face of an ox on the left side. The four also had the face of an eagle at the back of their heads. 
talks about four different faces, and these are four different things that the Lord has shown me over, over the last couple of years. And even when I was in Bible school, I was so intrigued by the symbolism of these faces. And the first face that we talked about was the face of the lion, which is the face of authority. We see in Mark chapter 14, after Jesus had told them, here is the birth signs of me coming. How many of y'all know Jesus is coming back for the church? Amen. He's coming back for you and I in the twinkling of an eye. When the trumpet sounds, those who are right with God will go. But he's saying, he told us this in Mark chapter 14. He said, I am leaving, but just as a master leaves a house, I will leave you in authority over my home. There are some things that God has given us authority in our life. How many of y'all know we have authority by the blood of Jesus? Come on, lift your hand if you believe that this morning, that you have the authority by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we have redemption through the blood, the Passover lamb in Exodus. We have protection in the blood. We have healing in the blood. We, we have, um, there is an authority that comes from the word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But if you were here last week, I got old school Pentecostal assembly of God on you. And I couldn't help it because when you talk about the name that's above every name, Every knee must bow and every tongue confess. There is authority in the name of Jesus. That's why it was so important to me. I told those kids, I want you to sit right here because this is something in your life that you're going to need to use the name of Jesus. When you are sick, you use Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He is still the healer today. But any time in your life, I'm telling you, there is an authority. So the face of the lion is the face of authority. He is, the, the rabbi said this, the reason that he used the lion, because he is the greatest animal in all of the jungle. Everybody bows to the lion. The second one, talking about the man, we see this in the book of Luke. We're celebrating it now with Christmas of, of, of Jesus, but it's the greatest creation. How many of y'all know we're created in, in, in the image of Christ? The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that we're created in his image, the Bible tells us. It's the greatest creation. The eagle is the face of the greatest bird that flies in the air. The, the eagle is better than the sparrow. Would you all agree? Or the cardinal? Or the blue jay. Those all might be pretty. The pelican. Dooper dee dooper dooper doo. When it flies. But how many of y'all know there is something spiritual about an eagle that soars in the air? And that's what I'm going to talk about when we talk about the eagle. We're going to talk about spirituality. When we talk about the man, we're going to talk about humanity. But today I want to talk about the ox, which is the greatest domestic animal on the face of the earth. The Bible tells us about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 that he was a beast of burden for you and I. The Bible tells us that we can cast all of our care on him, for he cares for us. How many of y'all know Jesus cares for you, for your situation, whatever you're going through? And we're, we're to give it to him, so he is the ox, and it's the face of humility. And today, if you'll allow me to, I want to talk about him being uh, the ox, speaking of humility. And I want to teach for a little bit and get back to John chapter 13, where we see such evidence of Jesus being the humble servant for you and I. In the days of Jesus, a Roman coin depicted an ox surrounded by the inscription on that coin. And it said this, for service or sacrifice. There comes times in our service to the Lord when we have to say, regardless of whether I am rewarded, esteemed, people applaud me, or even acknowledge me, I'm going to serve you, God, every single day of my life. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Paul said this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I don't know about you, but I would like for it to be on my tombstone that Travis Bennett, all the days of his life, was faithful to God and faithful to the service that he called him to. Even more than being men and women of faith, I, I, may God help us to be faithful men and women. You'll always know if you're becoming ox-like, if you're becoming a true servant, by how you react when people treat you like one, like an ox. When you're plowing away day after day, pouring out your heart, giving your best without thanks, acknowledgement, or appreciation, how is it that you react? Because servants are not honored and servants are not acknowledged. They serve anonymously, behind the scenes, out of sight. We need to have the kind of mentality that says, when others don't acknowledge me or even misunderstand me, Lord, help me to be truly be like an ox and continue on with what you've called me to do. 
and be who you've called me to be and go where you've called me to go. I want you to think about this. I think this is a great example. When you walk into a place, whether it be a building, whether it be a church, whatever it is, you walk into a place and you see the staff. When you see somebody with, some, with keys sticking out of their pocket and a whole bunch of them, who is he in that organization? He's the janitor. Everybody say janitor. How many of y'all have ever seen that janitor before? When you walk around AISD or a school and you see somebody who has a ton of keys, you know right away that they are, they are the janitor. But think about this. The one that people think the lowest of is the one with the most keys. Say that one more time. The one that nobody esteems as being the janitor or over maintenance, the one that thinks the lowest of is the one that has keys to every room in the house. His humility has gained him access to every room in there. He can go to the king's quarters, the queen's quarters. He can go into any place. Can I tell you? You want to go places in God, you've got to have a heart like an ox, a place of humility. Are you with me this morning? You guys awake? If you have, a, um, if you have an iPhone, um, you see on there, or I see it on mine, on the day of Yom Kippur, this year it was September 25th, and it's big significance to the people of God. And it's a Hebrew calendar, and there's lots of significance in Yom Kippur, and we can study it in the book of Exodus, right, Pastor Robert, of, of what this means. But I will just give you just a thin line. It's a day where all unconfessed sin... All unknown sin, all unrecognized sin got covered by the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the blood this morning? And it was especially significant for the high priest. It was the one day of the year where he would enter into the Holy of Holies, where he could go into the Holy of Holies, and he could experience the physical, tangible presence and glory of God. I mean, y'all know we don't have to, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we can boldly go into the throne room of God because of what Jesus did for us. The veil was ripped in half. And so it was a day of exaltation. Everybody say exaltation. But talking about the ox this morning, before exaltation first has to come humility. Before ministry has to come humility. Everybody say humility. Speaking of the high priest in Yom Kippur here, normally they wore a breastplate, breastplate that was full of Jews, jewels, Jews. <laughs> breastplate full of jewels. They had onyx stones up on their shoulders. There was a golden crown that was on their head. They wore this robe. They had bells down at the bottom. You could hear them coming. In fact, when the bells hit the ground in the Holy of Holies, they knew they had hit the ground and they were, all right? Uh, or, or, or they were at a place where they didn't hear it anymore. That was a time to bring them out. They wore a colorful belt around their waist. But on Yom Kippur, remember, the day that he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would confess all unconfessed sin, all unknown sins, all unrecognized sin. On Yom Kippur, he would, he would take this garment off, all this beautiful stuff of glory, and he exchanged it. For common clothes like everybody else. He wore a linen garment worn by everyone inside uh, uh, of the village there. This is a picture of what Jesus did for you and me. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. We looked at it last week. But it, but it says, for this reason also God highly exalted him and has bestowed, in, bestowed on him the name which is above Every name. I'll say it again. There is authority in the name of Jesus. Peter put, it this, Peter put it this way. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. First Peter chapter 5 tells us that. See, if you exalt yourself and demand your way, you will be humbled. I'm going to say that out loud from the rooftops. I hope everybody hears this on the internet. If you exalt yourself and demand your way, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And Jesus is the perfect example for you and I. God exalted him because he humbled himself by becoming a slave to the point of death for all humanity. Verse 10, it says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse 9, it tells, declares that he who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus died for his sins and rose from the dead, that they will be saved. Here we read that every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Does this mean that everyone will be saved eventually? No, it doesn't. But how many of y'all know there is coming a time when everyone will see Jesus and will bow before him, but it will be too late? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7, people will say, Lord, Lord, only to hear Jesus say, depart from me, for I never knew you. But we who have said, I'm flawed, I'm failed, I have all kinds of problems, but Jesus is the Lord, I receive you as my Lord, the Son of God who died for me. The Bible says that those are saved. Our place in heaven is secure. But before exaltation, I'm... I'm just here to remind you this morning, before exaltation, before you go up, you must first come down. Before exaltation comes humility. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 gives us the answer for that. He says, having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you read the book of Philippians, you will see that the emphasis of the epistle that Paul writes to the church at Philippi is not on how we feel, but on how we think. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you get anything, Humility first has to happen in in your mind before it happens in your actions. And in verse 6, he said, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10 and verse 30? I and my Father are one. John John 14 and verse 9 says, He that hath seen me has seen the Father. Yet he wasn't claiming something he had no right to claim. It wasn't robbery for Jesus to claim claim equality with the Father. Verse 7, but emptied himself. Everybody say empty. Emptied himself. That's what the New New American Standard says. But New King James says, but made himself of no reputation. The phrase in Greek is kinu, or literally it means this, he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself. What does this mean? What did he empty himself of? Of what? Of his divinity? No. When Jesus came as a man, he was still divine. Do you believe that? Then of what did he empty himself? He emptied himself of his divine power. How many of y'all know he had to lay down his life for you and me? There's nobody that could kill him. He had to lay down his life. So the implication of the doctrine of kenosis are huge because this means that everything Jesus did, the miracles he ministered, the prayers he prayed, the teachings he gave were not done in his own power. Jesus healed and prayed and taught through the power of the Holy Spirit that is still for you and I today. Amen. The Bible says greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. As he followed the Father's directives, Jesus healed and prayed and taught through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you and me. Come on, are you guys awake this morning? So when you read that Jesus walked on water, you might say, big deal, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. When you read that he overcame temptation, said, good for you. Big deal, it's Jesus. When, when you read that he spent all night in prayer, when you can't pray for eight minutes, he prayed for eight, eight and 12 hours. You might say, big deal, it's Jesus. So the miracles and stories of the gospel are, are irrelevant for me and you as far as they related to being an example or a model. Here's the deal. You might say that because you don't understand kenosis. You may not grasp Philippians chapter 2 right here. I didn't comprehend it at one time that Jesus came to the earth. He emptied himself of his divine abilities, which means everything Jesus did, he did as a man just like me. Before he did anything, Jesus had to be obedient to the Father. He had to pray, put himself on the line to be empowered by the Spirit or nothing would happen. He said in John chapter 5 and verse 30, of my own self, I can do nothing. And I want to tell you, church, neither can you. We can't do it without him. We've got to humble ourselves. When a man who is serious about loving and serving God understands the kenosis of Philippians 2, he'll never look at Jesus the same way. He'll see that Jesus' life is truly a model for anyone willing to be directed by the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible says, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Kenosis, tucked away right here in Philippians chapter 2, is a doctrine of gigantic importance as it relates to joy in our life. This is the mind that is to be in you. This is the way you're supposed to think. When we empty ourselves of our rights, where we become servants or literally slaves. I know I've said this before, but I want to ask the question again. How do you know if you're a servant? I'll tell you how. You don't get offended when someone treats you like one. Say that again. How do you know you're a servant? You don't get offended when someone treats you like one. Because slaves are not noticed. Slaves are not thanked. Slaves are not invited over for dinner. Slaves, no one compliments them. No one applauds them. They're expected to do their work and not be seen. The Bible says that is the mind to be in you and me. Why would anyone want a slave, want to have this kind of mindset? I'll tell you why. It tells us in verse 8. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Come on, can we thank Jesus for what he did for us? Coming into this week of Thanksgiving, having a heart of gratitude and a heart of Thanksgiving. Ain't nobody done for you what Christ has done for you. All the, though Jesus was filled with the Spirit from birth, he was not empowered by the Spirit until he said, I'm dying to myself. What did he say when he's about to go down the cross? When he sweat drops of blood, he said, your will be done, Father. Because Old Testament scriptures teach that every single sin must be atoned for, it's no wonder Jesus had to be slain before the foundation of the world. Put that scripture up there. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. All who live on the earth will worship him. All who live on the earth will worship him. You may not now, but there will be a time when you will. Everyone whose name has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slaughtered. Jesus did not go to the cross simply for a few hours one afternoon. No, when he submitted himself to the Father's plan, a price was paid that we cannot understand until we see him. Then with tears flowing down our cheeks and our nose flattened, as, as we fall on our faces, we'll say, Truly thou art. Art worthy. It says it in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Jesus stripped himself of the royal robes of his divine attributes in exchange for the common linen robe of humanity. Jesus was humbled at his birth. The creator of the universe was born in a manger full of hay. He was humbled before his brethren when he girded himself with a towel and washed their feet, as we read in the beginning in John 13. He was humbled during his betrayal, yet he called his betrayer Judas his friend. No wonder then that in one of the only autobiographical statements that Jesus made, this is what he said in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. Get this word in your heart today. Go ahead and come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. How many of you know his yoke is easy and his burden is light? The mindset of Jesus Christ is to be ours as well. So how does this happen? I believe the text in Philippians shows us how humility can be in the very fabric of our personality. Back up one more, two more to verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. The first thing, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. How about this week during Thanksgiving? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Before you make that phone call, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Before you post that on the internet, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Come on, are you out there this morning? When you're talking to your neighbor, I'm going to be careful of the words that come out of my mouth. I'm not going to be a person who stirs strife or vainglory on myself. I taught you guys 
at the beginning of the year in John chapter 5, the Lord showed me some stuff about the man that was at the pool of Bethesda under these five porticos. Uh, and when the water was supposedly stirred by the angel, by an angel, and there's it, um, the first person in the pool would be the one who was healed. I don't think that's really the point of the story. But the point is, there was a man that sat there month after month, day after day, minute by minute, year after year, decade by decade, trying to win the competition, trying to win the prize of the first one who would get in the water would be healed. And suddenly, there stood a man before him saying this, and these are the words of Jesus in red, Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? And what did he say? I can't. I have no one to help me in the water. Yip, 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 yip. In fact, we studied in the Greek. He just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. He's like, shut up. What does he say? He says, he interrupts him and he says, take up your bed. You know what I see right there as I was studying in this about Christ being the ox of humility for us? I believe Jesus was saying, let's not stick around here in the pool of competition where people are striving to move up or to get ahead. I believe Jesus was telling him, just pick up your mat. Do what I've called you to do. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't, you're, you're, you're thinking about all these people around you. Concentrate on me. Let nothing be done through strife. Let nothing be done through vainglory. I'm sorry to say that much of the church has been infected and motivated by competition. How many of y'all know it doesn't need to be this way? How many of y'all know it's God's heart not to be this way? He said right here in the New King James, Paul said this, be of one mind and of one accord. Not this church against that one or this group against that one. How many of y'all know the youth group is not better than the children's church and the children's group church is not better than the school and the school is not better than those working the cameras. And the ones that are, amen. The, the cameras aren't better than the ones in, in the greeters. Come on, how many of y'all know we are all one in Christ Jesus? Amen? We're all one in Christ. Secondly, so the first, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Secondly, a truly humble person will look at himself honestly. This is some, some of you, this is hard for you to do. But what did he say? He said, but in lowliness of mind, consider others more than you do yourself. I believe this is a key to victory and this is a key to success. Let each one of you esteem others as being better than yourself. How does this happen? By simply realizing that every single person around you, you are not better than them. When saw Greg Locke, which Greg Locke you saw from Pastor's Post, he's coming in July. Camp meeting this year. Amen. We heard... Uh, Greg Locke, a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that really stood out to me, he was talking about deliverance ministry, and he said this, I had to ask the Lord to baptize me in a whole new freshness of love for people, where for years, I, there was people that just annoyed me by their personality. But it may not be their personality that annoyed me, it might be something in them that annoys my spirit on the inside of me. What I'm getting at is this, we can't, Lots of times we're annoyed by that person because we see them as we see ourselves as better than them. And once we look into their lives and explore who they are, we must walk, walk away with it's a privilege to know you. I have no right to look down on you. Our natural carnal mind doesn't work this way, does it not? Your flesh wants to find fault with every person next to you so you can feel better about yourself. That's a word. But Paul says just the opposite. Go around work tomorrow or your school or whatever it is that you do and look at every other person as you are not better than them. That is in lowliness of mind. Consider others more than you do yourself. Church, as we begin to develop the mindset that we're privileged to be with everyone around us, can I tell you the result will be joy. But it can't be done apart from our dependence upon the Lord day by day, moment by moment. It's a challenge, and yet it's something we can choose to do. I want to give you an example. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 16, and I love David. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. And we see David's son, Absalom. If you know the whole story of this, he kills another 
son of his, and he's trying to take the throne, and he's rebelling against him to the point where David and his, me, and his men, they flee to Jerusalem. And when they're leaving, there's a man that comes out to him uh, uh, named Shimea, and he calls out to David, and he says, you're a bloody man, and you're getting exactly what you deserve. And he throws rocks at him and dust at him, and he's trying to really get the king. This is the king. He's trying to get the king distraught. And he has one guy that I think that sometimes this is me. He's like, let's cut his head off. Don't look at me judgmental. You've had the same thoughts before. Right? If you've watched Friends, you at least want to give him one of these. All right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's cut his head off. But what I love about David, I mean, y'all know he was a man of integrity. He was a man of wisdom. What I love about David, David says, he's right, I am a bloody man. And what did David say? He said, the Lord actually is allowing this to happen. Shimea would eventually lose his head and God dealt with him. And how many of y'all know there are Shimeas in our life that you just need to let the Lord deal with? But in the meantime, David accepted his words as being from the Lord. How many of y'all know the Lord sometimes will put Shimeas in our life? He'll put, us, put them in our lives to reveal to us our weaknesses that we might look at others compassionately and sympathetically rather than with a hard heart. God puts Shimeas in our life for a reason. So, Pastor, why should we be, we be humble? Because humility brings unity. I'm going to say that again. I'm not just saying it to rhyme, and I do it all the time. How about that? I'm saying it because it's true. Humility brings unity. Dad, you want unity in your home? Come with some humility. There will be unity in the body of Christ to the degree that there is humility. The second thing is this. Humility brings liberty. The humble person is the freest person of all because he is completely free from protecting his rights, promoting himself, or polishing his own image. You know what the world says? The world says promote yourself. But what does the Lord say? The Lord says humble yourself. The world says watch out for number one. The Lord says esteem others more than you do yourself. The world says, claw your way to the top, where the Lord says, the way up is down. In my heart, my prayer for all of us is that God would begin to work humility in our lives, that we might be those who are like the great high priest we call Jesus. Now I want to talk to you this morning. That's just teaching a little bit out of Philippians chapter 2 of how he truly is the ox for you and I. But a great example of humility of him being the ox while he walked on the face of the earth is in John chapter 13. I love John 13 right here because this is where it starts the upper room uh, discourse. And we read from John 13 all the way to 19, but John 13 through 17. If you've studied the Bible at all, you see that this is all red letter, meaning this is coming straight from him. And as I was studying this particular text this week, there's so much in this that I could just peel the onion away for you guys. But this is what the Lord does. Before he teaches, he touches. Before you can open up your heart to receive really what God has in store for your life, you first got to allow him in to touch you. I want you to think about Zacchaeus before Jesus corrected him. Hey, come out of that tree, wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Before he came out of that tree and corrected him in some places in his life, what did he do? He got close to him. Before he, he corrected, he connected. This is the father that I serve. He's not up there pointing a finger at you and me. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And in this particular text in John chapter 13, it's entirely all in red. And it covers 24 to 36 hours before he'd give his life on the cross. And we know this, the, the Saturday before Palm Sunday is one of the greatest feet washings where, where Mary comes in and washes Jesus' feet with, with you know, the, the, the anointed nard. But now, this is an important one right here because... How many of y'all know at the end of somebody's life, the final counsel that they pour into you, how many of y'all know you better be listening up? 
It might be at the final council of a grandpa or a dad or whatever it is that they're talking to you about your inheritance. And in, in, in this course right here, he's telling you about the things, hey, this is what I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you a Holy Spirit and the same secret power that I have you get to have in you. And it's amazing in this, John puts this in when others didn't. So there's people that actually believe out there this is something that we've got to do as a church. And I've been in feet washing uh, services before. How many of y'all have ever been in one before? All right? I have too. I've been in some weird ones, honestly. Just be honest with you. But it's just weird when you have your feet out there and somebody's... It is such a humbling experience, is it not? I just think, you know, my feet look like Fred Flintstone for sure. All right? And, and, And you got toe jam and, I mean, it's all kinds of... It's just... It can be a little bit awkward. Can we just be real this morning? All right? And so there is people that actually believe that this is a part of communion or this is a part of baptism and this is something you do. There's some brethren out there that do this particular thing. But I think right here in verse 15, he said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I believe it's more than the action. I believe it's something from the heart of what Jesus really did. Because he said he got up from the table, he took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, verse 4 and verse 5, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Not one disciple's feet, but all of them. I want you to think about who's all in the room. Peter's in the room. He's messed up. Judas is in the room. He's about to really mess up. And the only people that would wash feet or even take off, he took off his robe and put this towel around his waist and poured this water. The only people that would do this, we know this from history, would be an indentured servant. Meaning this, if a Jew owned somebody money, during this time it was custom for them to go, before they walked into somebody's home, the places that they'd been, they didn't want to bring that into the house. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? (laughs) That all the places you've been, all the things that you've said, he said he would wash you white as snow is what Jesus did for you. But anyways, that's, that's a whole different sermon for a different day. But these indentured servants, this is what they do. If they owed somebody money, they would take on this position at a home and wash everybody's feet before they come in because they owed money to the person of the house. The only other person would do it would be a Gentile slave. So are you seeing right here? Jesus paid every debt for you and me, and he also came to the place of slavery for you and I. Come on, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you guys awake this morning? This is such a sign of symbolism, what Jesus did for us. And so in verse 13, the first thing, what what I see right here when he says, I have given an example to follow, do as I have done for you. Number one is this. That means we need to serve one another with humility. How many of y'all know we need to serve one another with humility? Let's say it again. How many of y'all know we need to serve one another with humility? So the first thing that I see from the text is the Lord began to download this to me this week. You need to write this down. You're never above serving others. You are never above serving others. It doesn't matter how important you are, what kind of plaque you have outside of your office, how much money you've made, how famous you have become. You are never above serving others. I was talking to somebody this week. He said they go to First Baptist downtown, and I really have a high regard for for Howie Batson. I mean, very impressive guy. I mean, and I said... He said, man, I love him so much. He said, I'll give you an example. There's like 10,000 people probably go to that church. It's huge. So many people. So many services. A lot of people. He said, one of the things that stood out to me to Howie Batson, they were having a big, big uh, service, and they needed more chairs. He's about to preach, and he said he was running through the halls with uh, um, one of those dollies full of chairs, putting them out with everybody else. How many of y'all know you're never above serving others? Think about this. This is the Son of God. He stooped down to wash the feet of dirty sinners. Divinity served humanity. Think about it. Divinity served humanity. Write it down. Divinity served humanity. The Creator cared for the created by washing their feet. 
So I just want to tell you right now, if you're too good to serve other people, you're telling me this, you're better than God. That hurts. Here's a perfect example. Alfred Morris, who played for the, for the uh, Washington Redskins. They're still the Redskins. Can we all agree? They are not the challengers. They are still the Redskins. And thus saith the Lord, if you are a Cowboy fan, you must hate the Redskins. Right? Amen, Doug? Go ahead and write that down. If you don't hate the Redskins, you need to start today. Praise the Lord. Amen? But anyways, Alfred Morris... There was, a, there was a reporter that came, and he saw something about him. When guys would get off the football field, when they had towels that were wrapped around them, sweaty and all kind of nasty stuff that comes. I mean, how many of y'all know linebackers are gross? Linemen are nasty. Imagine the things that come off of them in a game. Lord have mercy. And they would have these, they, these towels, and then they would take a shower, and towels would hit the floor. And Alfred Morris, the starting run ba- running back, for the Washington Redskins, he would go around before, everybody would go to the cameras, and this reporter noticed one thing. Sunday after Sunday, he went around and picked up every towel and threw them in the hamper. And they went to him and said, Alfred Morris, you a millionaire who is the starter of this team as the running back who scores lots of touchdowns and won lots of games for us, why is it that you go around and pick up every towel that's around you? He said, first of all, my mama would kill me if she saw me walk past these towels on the ground. How many of y'all know your mama would too? Amen, Anson. It's where you go, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, all right? She's right there, okay? But the second thing that he said that really pointed out to me, he said, but really, he laughed. He said, yeah, my my mama. And then he goes this, but really, I want to be just like Jesus. You are not above serving people. The second thing that I see right here in this text, serving is not about you. It's not about them. It's about Jesus and following his example. Think about this in verse 2. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. We see in verse 30, so Judas left at once going out into the night. Y'all remember what Judas did? You remember that he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? And sold him for slave prices. The one that he had walked with, talked with, had his feet washed by. That he betrayed him right to his face. He betrayed him. And Jesus knew it the whole time because he was divine. Divinity. We talked about that. He knows the end from the beginning. But yet he still washed his feet. I'm just trying to point something out to you. Serving is not about you. It's not about them. It's about being like Jesus Christ. It's about following his example. Judas leaves to betray him. Judas was there to get his feet washed. So I want to ask you, who's wronged you? Who's betrayed you? Who's been evil to you? Can I tell you a method to make you free? Serve them. Serve them. Why? I'll tell you why. So bitterness, resentment, and anger doesn't have to settle down in your heart. I want to give you an example. I told this in the first service. It's a great example. A friend told me about it. But there was this pastor who lived over in Virginia. And there was some land that he had bought from this farmer. And he told the farmer, when this other piece of land comes up, I want to buy it and build some more. And so this pastor, or the farmer comes to the pastor and says, hey, I'm going to sell this. Well, he put a sale sign out there and he made a verbal agreement with him and said, hey, I'll buy it for this much. Another pastor in town goes to the property, and he, he finds out what the other pastor is paying. He said, he pay this much, but I'll pay this much. So the farmer calls him and says, I can't sell you the land because another pastor so-and-so in town bought it. Well, how would you feel? I don't care if he's a pastor or not. He'd want to go set his house on fire. Right? And so this is what he does. The Lord began to deal with his heart. The Lord said, I want you to serve him. So he invited that pastor that, that made the deal behind his back This pastor that that got the land taken away from him, he calls him and says, hey, I want to have breakfast with you. That pastor doesn't know that he knows from the farmer. So he goes to breakfast that morning. He gets there early, and that other pastor pulls up next to him and says, hey, I have no intentions of eating breakfast with you, but I would really like to talk with you in my car. 
So he gets out and he gets inside of the car and he says, hey, I want to let you know, Farmer Brown has told me this, that you're not going to sell, that he's not selling me the property anymore. He's selling it to you. He said something came over. So it's like, dun, dun, dun. He said, I just want to tell you what you did was wrong, but I'm going to free myself today and pulled out of a check out of his front pocket for $10,000 and gave it to him and said, you and I are one in the kingdom of God. And if you're building the kingdom of God, this is what I'm doing. I'm setting myself free. But what happened was, is that land was condemned and the county wouldn't let him build anything on it. How many of y'all know God was saving that man from the property that he was about to buy? My whole point is this. It doesn't matter who they are. It matters who Christ is. And if Jesus can serve Judas, come on, there is a family member that will be at your dinner table this week. No need to name any names. All right? They might be a monster in your house. I'm, I'm, there might be four of them. Anybody else? We got five. We got six in the family, seven. My whole point is this. Listen up, everybody. If Jesus can serve Judas, somebody who stabbed you in the back, you might be the one example that will turn them back to Jesus. Come on, do you all believe that we serve the ox of humility this morning? Are you seeing this? Here's the third thing. Come on, Ben. Shut me up. Humility is seen in how we serve others and how we allow them to serve us. Verse 8. Peter said, no. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, all right then. Then wash my hands, my head, my feet, every part of me. Lord, just... Just not my feet. Why did Peter say this? Because he felt unworthy. How many of y'all have ever felt unworthy because of the things you've done and said? Humility is seen in how we serve others and how we allow them to serve us. See, it's vulnerability. I don't have what it takes. It can't be me. See, My point is this, when you don't allow them to serve you, you're robbing them of a blessing that they can receive. Can I tell you, I'll just be real honest with you, Pastor Appreciation Month in October, the Lord has really had to deal with my heart about that because it is so awkward for me. I want to serve. I don't want to be served. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I just want to be who God's called me to be. I just want to do what God's called me to do. If it's moving chairs, I'll move chairs. If it's mopping the floors, I'll mop the floors. But here's the deal. If I keep doing those things, I will rob you of being blessed as I have been blessed. Is this making sense? Come on, I'm being vulnerable right here. And the Lord really dealt with me. Woke me up in the night. said, Travis, this is old-fashioned pride. Because this is not about you. This is about me. And this is about me using others. Opening doors of favor for them. Because you put a seed in the ground, you'll harvest. I have no problems. I have no problems serving anybody on our staff. How would you agree that I love to serve people? I love to serve people. You know why I love Heidi? Because she loves to serve people. I hope you all know that. Because I've learned this. When you go low, you get under the spigot of the anointing of God. But when you get high, you're missing out on what God has in store for you. Humility is seen in how we serve others and how we allow them to serve us. Here's the last thing, verse 17. You missed it earlier. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Here's my fourth point. Humility and serving always comes with the blessing. Humility and serving always comes with the blessing. Come on, I'm going to say it again. Humility and serving always comes with the blessing. It's your takeaway today. 
I gave you an example of the greatest ox for you and I. That he laid down his life for you and me. The greatest act of humility ever known. He covered all your sin. All confessed, all unconfessed. You've got to confess it. But Yom Kippur, he... All the way down as a servant, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. I'm telling you, big things will happen in your home, Dad, when you empty yourself. Big things will happen in your home, Mom, when you empty yourself. That's the greatest example of Jesus being the ox for us. And then going to the New Testament, John chapter 13. You are never above serving others. And serving others, an act of humility is not about you. It's not about them. It's about being the example of Jesus Christ. Humility. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Come on, aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Come on, let's stand to our feet. God, right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, going into this holiday of thankfulness and gratitude, Lord, I pray May we come into this time. Maybe there is strife that has tried to come in the camp of our family. Lord, I just pray that we would be the leader that would step up and say, not in my camp, not in my home. I choose to take the high way out by becoming low. And I just pray, Lord, I speak blessing over these families as we have seen the greatest example of an ox of humility for us. I pray, Lord, that we would go and, Lord, that we would serve, serve our kids, serve our loved ones, serve our neighbors, serve those, God, that you have put around us. Lord, may we be revelation to them of Christ living on the inside of us. Lord, may we reveal your word, reveal your name of how much you mean to us by the way we live our life and the words that come out of our mouth. May we do nothing through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, may we consider others more than we do ourselves. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously. You help us change lives and produce weekly content like this that reaches the world. If you're interested in partnering with us, you can give by clicking the link in our bio through the website arenaoflifechurch.org or through the Church Center app. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and we'll see you next week.